0: As you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 19 and we're going to be talking about Jesus being king. Um, Does anybody here like games? Just Marianne? That's cool. That's cool. Some people like games. One of the gifts that one of our kids got this Christmas is this game called uh, the game of things, where you pull out this card and it gives you a thing and it says things like things that are good about cats, and then everybody sits around trying to think of something interesting, something about cats that's good, and then you try to guess who secretly wrote down this list. And one of the the questions was, things you would do if you were a dictator. Things you would do if you were king. It's always an interesting question to think about. Okay, so you're king. You're the boss. You got the swords, you got the scepter, you got the crown. What do you want to do? Anybody want to get a soft serve ice cream machine in the kitchen? First thing we're going to do, non-stop soft serve. Anybody? What could go wrong with that? Especially if your brother decides to duct tape that thing open. What could go wrong? What would you do if you were a king? Even when you just ask that question, what does it stir up inside of you? Like, oh man, now I can finally get what I want. Or something like that. If I were king, and I could just tell people what to do if I were the boss. Well, people said nice things when we were dealing with that question. What would you do if you were a dictator? I can't even remember what I said. Sleep in? I don't even know. Mostly it was nice things. We all like to imagine that if you we were king, we would do nice things. You know, you would make life better for everybody else. But it doesn't seem like when regular people end up in those situations that that's how it turns out. What's wrong with us? So instead I want to talk, look a little bit about Jesus being king. Jesus isn't like us. I mean, he's like us in that he was a human being and he lived a life um, on this earth. But he is the king. And he did not live like a king on the earth. And even now, he doesn't do typically what we would do if we were a dictator for a day or longer. And so it's so good. And I've just been working my way through the Gospel of Matthew. And I just finished, but I'm going to be in Luke today because it helps a little bit more with the message. But I just want to look at Jesus being king and part of what it means for Christ to be king. So we're going to read the parable of the ten minas. And minas are um, its a a unit of monetary measurement. Blah, bling, just lost half of you right there. It's just a bunch of money. And so in my Bible it says it's about three months' months wages for laborers. So however much you would make in three months, about that amount. But it's meant to be a lot of money. And uh, so here's the story of Jesus describing himself as king and how that relates to his servants using a parable. Luke 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem, meaning he was about to be crucified and then go to heaven, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, so ten chunks of money, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business." And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for i was afraid of you because you are a severe man you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow and he said to him i will condemn you with your own words you wicked servant you know that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by him, Take the mina from him and give it to those who, to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. And he said, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from him, from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. For, but as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. These are the very words of God. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to come to you through King Jesus, uh, the great King. God, would you help us to be true servants of Christ as we've confessed our faith in him, I pray, God, that you would help us to truly walk in faith in this life and to treat Jesus as the King. God, would you help us by your Holy Spirit, change our hearts, impact us, and would you help the children, Lord Jesus? I love them. They, they're so dear to my heart, and they're, they're a treasure from you to us. And so, Lord, would you help us to treasure them, to give them due honor, and to train and disciple them in every way that we are able. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said... Amen. Wonderful. So Jesus is king. And one of the things that makes him different than a regular king is that he doesn't have any boundaries to his kingdom. He's king over everything. He's king over all of existence. He's king over all the universe. You can't find a place or put your finger on a map or on anything you might see through a telescope that doesn't belong to Jesus. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in heaven to be ruler over all of heaven and earth. And Jesus, even before he went to heaven, said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. He's the king. He has authority over everything. Not everybody knows that, and so a lot of us live in rebellion to Jesus, but every single thing in the world is part of His kingdom. And He is invading the universe through His church. And His church goes out into all the world and declares the reign of Jesus. That's the gospel. We declare that the King is raised from the dead, and everybody who believes in Him gets to lay down their rebellion and lay down their arms and become treasured citizens and be forgiven of all of their sin and become his dear people who he will rule over and protect and provide for and provide an inheritance in his kingdom that they get to enjoy forever and ever and this is the good news that jesus christ reigns and so everything is already his by resurrection and we get to go and declare that he is the lord and people in rebellion against him get to be forgiven all right so far so good And so there were these people before Jesus even died who thought that Jesus was going to die and come back from the grave and then he was going to go to heaven for a few days and then come back real, real quick-like. And that we were going to get this heaven thing started ASAP. And Jesus was thinking, this isn't how it's going to go and I need to teach them a story so they'll know how to deal with their long lives waiting for me to return. And so far, every Christian who's lived has died except for us. Waiting for Jesus' return, he hasn't come back. And so he told them a story about what they were supposed to do with this time. This time between Jesus being crowned king through his resurrection and his return. And one of the first things he wanted us to think about was the fact that he's going to come back and he's going to judge. He's going to come back and he's going to judge. And he's going to judge our lives. That's why in the story he says, you know, he gave all this stuff to these servants. And when he comes back, he says, okay, what did you do with my minas? And so, as Christ is coming back, this is one of the things Jesus is king, so he's the judge. And this is one of the things that kings used to do. We don't have a ton of kings that we're used to in our world. And even when we do have things like prime ministers and presidents, they don't get to be judges in our cultures. That's usually handed over to judges and supreme courts. But in Jesus' day, that was the king's top job. The king was the ultimate judge. And so if a court case came to him, eventually he would judge it. And uh, the Roman Caesars would do that. But we, we found... Over time, that when you had kings who were also judges, they kind of got corrupt, and so we wanted to separate those things. So the judges are supposed to judge, and the governmental rulers are just supposed to make laws, and we don't want them to mix that stuff up. In fact, recently in Canadian history, um, a prime minister was found guilty of breaching his role to just leave the courts alone. But for Jesus, he is governmental ruler and he is judge, and he That's his job. And in Jesus' mind, if you are one of his people, he has entrusted things to you that he wants you to turn a profit on. In the mind of the king, if you ain't dead yet, he has entrusted things to you that he wants you to turn a profit on in this life. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. Now it's interesting. In this parable, everybody gets one mina. In the Matthew version of this, he gives different people different amounts. They're called talents, which is just even more money. A talent essentially was just like a box full of gold. So when Jesus told that story in Matthew, he considers that the very least of his servants at least was entrusted with a box full of gold. Amen. So I like how he does this. He doesn't say, like, here's, here's a dollar, Greg. I'm going on a long journey, come back, and I want that dollar to have made me something. He says, I'm giving you at least three months wages, whatever that is for you. I'm giving you $20,000. The least of you is getting 20 grand. The most of you, if it's 10 talents, that's something more like 20 million bucks. The most of you have 20 mil. The least of you at least have 20,000 bucks. Make it profitable and for when I return. So nobody in the mind of Jesus is supposed to think, supposed to be doing this i got nothing. All i got is some moth balls in my pockets. <laughs> moth balls in my pockets. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> what are you going to make? Moth pockets. <laughs> Amen? Something. Something. Something just happened there. <laughs> So this is a mindset from the Lord. He sees himself as the king. And as the king, he sees himself as having entrusted us with things that at his return or at our death, he is going to review how it went. And his expectation is that we will have turned a profit, We'll have taken what he's given us and we'll have made it better or made it bigger than if he didn't give us anything at all. Amen? And he tells this story with a a twist. Because there's always the third. Jesus is such a good storyteller, and stories are always supposed to be the third one. The first two are the setup, and the third one's the interesting one, right? Um, it's always the third brother who who is the the useless, do-nothing that nobody expects anything from who ends up getting the golden goose and marrying the princess. And I would just like to say in my family as well that I am the third-born son. So here we go. So far, so good. Got me a Jesus, got me a cool church, got me a princess. Amen. In this case, however, it's the first two servants who are the faithful one, and the third one is the one we're supposed to be paying attention to. The third servant's the one that's supposed to be the hook that catches us. And when the uh, when the king goes to review from the third service servant, what does the servant come with? Has he made any money? Has he made any profit? No, he, he, he hasn't done anything with it. He put it in a handkerchief. And then he just gives it back. with no, Nothing's changed. And the king's pretty upset, but he's not upset so much about the fact that he doesn't have any more stuff, but he's upset about the attitude. And this, for me, is the most interesting part of the story because Jesus is doing um, psychology on sinners here. What kind of person says that they're a Christian but ends up giving Jesus no return on the investment of the life that Jesus has entrusted to them? That's what, what Jesus is talking about here. What kind of person does that? Is it a person without enough talent? No. Is it a person without enough opportunities? No. Is it a person without enough friends? No. Is it a person who fill in the blank? No. According to Jesus, the thing that keeps a person from producing a profit for Christ before his return is a person who deep down thinks evil of the king. That's the issue that keeps us from turning a profit is that deep down we, we don't trust do. him, and we don't want to. That's the issue in this story here, and for me I just think this is so interesting, and I, so I do all this i I'm, do, I'm doing I'm in this the season of heart checking because it's like. Okay, so if I'm not taking what God's given me to be faithful with and making it better, ultimately the root issue is I don't want to have to trust God with this thing. Because beyond not wanting to trust God, it's because I don't think He's trustworthy because I have to believe that he's a severe person who takes things that don't belong to him and he's a wicked leader who mismanages his servants and just wants to use them and abuse them and then lose them. That must be what God is like if I don't want to trust him and therefore I just take what he's given me and don't do anything with it instead of enjoying making a profit on what he's entrusted to me. Does that make sense? That's the mindset of this third servant that's the the lynch of this story for Jesus. And so it doesn't go well for the servant because the king doesn't say, I agree with you I'm evil. He says, well (laughs) if you are so convinced that I'm evil, I'll just treat you like I am. Yikes. So this is really interesting. So let's go a little bit deeper here. Okay, so the heart issue of this parable is, I think what Jesus is trying to say is, um, you, you might have a very long life of things entrusted for you to make a profit, and so be busy about the work of God, and the thing that will keep you from being successful in my sight is just not trusting me, because you think lowly of me. That's what it seems like God is saying through this parable. The king is saying, if you think highly of me, you will turn a profit. If you think lowly of me, you won't turn a profit. That's the issue, is who you think I am. All right, what are these entrustments? One of the unhelpful things, I think, for me, is English. I mean, in English, they're both probably true. Um, Is how that word talent has gone from meaning a humongous amount of money in Jesus' day to skills and abilities, right? If you say someone's talented with the guitar, you don't think they have a guitar that's made out of 60 kgs of gold. You think that they can use their electric twanger to really rock this thing, even though I carried an M6 team in Nam. You know what I mean? Like they, it, It's transferred from a measurement of money that... Countries would do taxes into talents, um, abilities, skills, things that you can do better than other people. And I'm not sure that it's helpful just to take that transition and run with it in this story, because what that means is that when Jesus has entrusted you with talents, quote-unquote talents, it means do stuff for Jesus that you're good at. Which is partially true, but I don't think the whole story. Why do I think this? In part because when we're good at things we typically feel like we need to trust God less with them, not more, right? Anybody? If you're good at guitar, thanks Greg for being here, do you have to trust God for just the playing of the guitar every time? No. If you're good at making money, do you have to trust God with money as much? Not really. If you've got lots of health, do you have to trust God with your health? No. Well, so, so if we read this and we think, what I'm good at, I'm supposed to use for the Lord, it doesn't quite work with the whole idea of you need to trust Him to turn a prophet. And I think it's just because of how English works. I don't think he's just saying, use what you're good at for God. I think essentially what it means is what God gives you is an entrustment. Whatever He gives you. He will give you good things. And things that you're good at. And he will give you problem situations. And he will give you challenges. And he will give you hard times. And he will give you pains and sufferings. And he will give you your whole life. Good, bad, and ugly. These are all entrustments that the king says, turn a profit for my kingdom with this. All of it. Amen? He gives it to us to use until he returns. Good, bad, and ugly. It's all handed over by the king who owns everything and says, make this work for me. So I've been thinking about this a lot over Christmas. We're a bit of a a Lego family, um, which is great. And But one of the things that happens with Lego is two things. Number one, sometimes things fall apart and the kid can't put it back together. And what invariably happens is that pieces go missing. Am I right? right. Anybody? Oh, I lost this piece. And so what happens is that who gets called on for these most auspicious of, of tasks? Yeah, I'm the world-class Lego finder in our family. I've got <laughs> techniques it's it's always like first thing you do is get the kid to stand up cuz half the time it's underneath them the piece that they're looking for and then you start lifting things and moving things around and and for me that's kind of just like that's one of those situations there's a problem that needs fixing and i feel like god will often hand us so many broken things and that's the talent that's the mina make it better Here's a broken person. Here's a broken situation. Here's things that aren't working. Here's things you don't like. Here's little sisters. Blah boom Make it better. It's an entrustment. Here's a spouse. Make it better. You cut your thumb off. Making salad. Make it better. One little story that came out of that whole episode. I had to talk about it just once. Um... Cannibal salad. It was delicious. Um, had this nice red vinaigrette on there. Anyhow, what was I talking about? Right. Cutting your thumb off. Jackie came up to me a day or two later and was just said to me, you know, one of the things the kids appreciated is that when you cut your thumb off, you said, oh crud, or something like that. And it's just like and I don't remember it but when you cut your thumb off anything's possible with your lips in a sense, right? and so when, when, when all you said was oh crumbs or oh crud then you, then you can be grateful because that stuff matters what am I trying to say here? I want. I think the King calls us to a mindset that whatever He gives to us, we can receive as an entrustment, to try to turn it for the profit of His kingdom. And one of the reasons we don't like thinking about that for everything is the hard times, right? When you're not feeling well, where things aren't going well, when the relationships aren't working, the problem for thinking those things are beyond the scope of turning a profit for the lord in is that going through hard things are actually what gives us credibility in life we know this if you know somebody who suffers physically and is praising the lord you respect them they have a gravitas they have a weight you're just like you're going to when they're talking you want to listen and they're turning a profit for the Lord. They're still hurting, and they're still praising. They're turning a profit for the Lord. And then you want to respect them. You know that their praise means something, because they're not praising out of their peace and prosperity. They're praising out of their pain. And that servant is earning a city to rule over in the kingdom to come. Amen? Amen? And it saves us from having this mindset like, oh, well, if I was the next Billy Graham, then I could be doing something worthy for the king. Or if I had outstanding talents that would finally get me out of this Backwards water Calvary Chapel and Nowheresville Steinbeck and finally get some credit for what I'm able to do. Then I could really praise the king. No, whatever he gives us is a, is a talent. Whatever he hands us is a mina. And he says, make this profitable for the kingdom. And the only thing that will keep you from doing that is thinking, I'm a jerk, says the king. How could you hand this to me? You're ruining my life. You're such a you're just you. All you want me to do is fix things you break, king. No. The king wants you to work with him to turn a profit. Why? Because this king is the kind of king that wants to give outrageous rewards for faithfulness. Okay. How do you become a ruler of 10 Cities in the kingdom of God. Be faithful with one Mina before the king comes back. According to this story. They turned a profit with stuff they didn't even have to put in their own initial investment. This is a crazy thing. Jesus is a capitalist in one sense. He's like, I own all this stuff, I want to invest it and have more stuff when I come back. But at the other hand, he's the worst capitalist because he's like, here's 20 grand. And you come back and say, I made you another 20 grand. And he's like, okay, here's all of Winnipeg for you to rule over. Doesn't make any sense. Does that make sense? And the thing that I don't even get about it is this I start off in God's sight. As a wicked sinner who needs his son, the king, to die for me just so that I can come to his throne and not have a throne of condemnation, but a throne of grace. And so even if all he did was forgive me so that he didn't kill me and destroy me, I would be in a place to be grateful forever. And that would be fair. And then Jesus says, now that you are redeemed, now that you're saved, now that you're rescued, now that you're in my kingdom, now you're forgiven, here's Amina, and if you're faithful with it, I will give you a billion times more in my kingdom. What? I feel like every six months, I I stumble over the same impossible thought in a message, that Jesus would go from judge, to forgive her, to give her, to reward her. That he wants to give me more stuff so that he can reward me more than just forgiving me, which is more than I could ever even earn or deserve. If I was faithful to Jesus for the rest of my life, I still wouldn't even have earned my forgiveness. <laughs> ah! This king is crazy. This king is crazy. Generous. He wants to give us cities And all we have to do Is want to turn a profit For what he gives us In this short miserable life Worship him Worship him And if he's this generous Then it must be true That the only thing That will keep Robert Balfour From doing that Is thinking he's not actually like that He's not, he's not that good I'm the good one. He, he's cray-cray. He's just demanding. He just wants to mess up my life. I had a good thing going before he showed up, and now he's got all these demands and all these rules, and uh, he's just expecting all this stuff. Bah! That kind of thinking is what kills the whole plan of Jesus. To save and trust and then reward beyond our wildest dreams. That's the king's plan. His desire is to come back as the judge and for his forgiven people say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Here is ten planets. I want a planet. That's what I'm going for. I would like a planet. I think that would be very interesting with at least 50 moons. Because I like moons. Moons are sweet. And there's more than enough for everyone to go around. You're all invited to my planet. All right, well, let's call it quits. But as we're looking forward to probably one of the most interesting years in the history of Calvary Chapel, I want to call all of us to come and stand before the King and say, I want my life in 2020 to turn you a prophet." And you just take whatever he's given you, in your family, in your finances, in your health, and you say, I want to turn a prophet. Lead me in this. Show me how scripturally I can respond to things, whether it's the grace to endure or the grace for miracles. I want to turn a profit for the glory of Jesus in whatever you give me this year. And guess what? It's going to be wild. One thing I can guarantee is things are going to happen in 2020 that you don't expect and probably that you didn't want. And the King of Kings is saying, I want to reward you for turning a profit on this situation. Amen? It's going to happen. I'm not a prophet, but what I know is something you don't want is going to happen next year. Is that okay? I know we're Canadians. We think that, what? No, no. No, Rob, no. Down, boy. Down. How dare you, sir? This is my year. My year. My time. I'm going to go out there with the metal detector at Grand Beach and I'm going to find the buried treasure. Me! I got my lotto numbers all picked out. Here's the plan. The king is a good king. Whatever he gives us, let's help each other turn a profit by faith and trust and obedience this year. And the king wants to outstandingly reward us for it. Amen? Now, one of the things, let's all stand and I'll give an encouragement. And maybe the band can come and get ready to play. This parable emphasizes Jesus' awareness the fact that he hasn't come back yet. But it's not the whole story because the king really is with us now and we're not alone. And so I want to call on us to welcome the king who's here into every area of our life to lead us in how this will be as glorious for eternity for us. Amen? So Father, here we are, your people. Jesus, I just want to confess in the name of the King or in the presence of the King, I am so good at fault-finding what you hand me. It's terrible. And King, I want to repent and I want to say whatever you hand me, would you give me and all of us grace together to take this entrustment and want to turn a profit to give back to you. King Jesus, I want to declare the truth. You are are good and more generous than we could ever know and lord i pray the conviction of your goodness would grow in our hearts more and more and more and be the fuel for rejoicing in taking the lost pieces of the toy and the broken situations and even our own pain and sufferings and saying god Lead me and help me to turn this for your glory. God, we have your promise that in all things you work for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. Would you help us to do our part by faith in that happening? In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen.